Welcome back, podcast listeners. Episode 105. Tony, you're looking a bit tired today, mate. It's been a big couple of days. Has been. Uh, yes, but it's a topic that I'm happy to talk about, so I'll stay awake for you. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be the one that drives today. I'll, I'll be the one that brings the excitement today and not okay. yourself. If you see me nodding off, keep <laughs> under the table. How about that? No, look, what we're going to do today, um, and we like to do this, I guess, sort of every, every sort of three to six months, um, talk about our portfolios that we're doing with our clients um, and just some of our thoughts behind it. Now, we know we do the market update on a monthly basis, um, but we'll just go into a little bit of our thoughts at the moment, the way we're sort of positioning our clients' portfolios um, and just some of the long-term views that we're taking. Yeah, and I think without sounding like a broken record, we always have to take a long-term view and that's, you know, anywhere out for a decade but always three to five years is the long-term view yeah. and and markets do always uh, smooth out no matter whether they're in low point high point volatile points they always do smooth out over the longer term if you've got a good strong diversified asset allocation which we do have so we have just had you know reporting season we've had we've had a year of um, use that horrible word unprecedented <laughs> so, you know it's a word I hate you told me never to use that in the podcast yeah I know so but but you know my rules <laughs> so so, so um, you know we, we didn't know what we didn't know what to expect when COVID first hit uh, so the markets obviously did come down and everything got closed up all around the world uh, we didn't know how many deaths there were going to be globally or just even you know in our own state or country yeah um, from a deaths uh, scenario Victoria certainly copped it the worst the but in, in relation to I remember seeing numbers that came out of a professor at um, who basically an Excel spreadsheet, I think, but at a Melbourne University where he was estimating anywhere as a minimum of 500,000 up to one and a half million deaths in Australia. Now, we've had, I think, just over 900. So, But there, there was what that showed, though, and I'm not saying he's an unintelligent man, it just showed the absolute uncertainty. But you might remember um, in a meeting we all had in here because we did have a lot of clients ringing up, and a lot of clients were ringing up asking should they buy Qantas shares, but that aside, <laughs> it was, um, we had a lot of uh, uncertainty, and the one thing in respect to our investment committee that we spoke about was that I'm not overly concerned this time round in respect to the robustness of our portfolio, number one, and secondly, too, because of the exposure that we have, there's just the the market coming off this time was not due to corruption wasn't due to uh you know yeah it wasn't it wasn't due to like what happened in the gfc which was pure greed you know so smoke and mirrors investing as we call it so if you if you liked companies that were robust and extremely um uh, cash flow positive and extremely profitable you just like them more at that stage. Yep. And now one, one of the things that has happened though is countries around the world, we know definitely of Australia and uh, the US, but the stimulus packages that have gone in, a lot of the uh, Western countries have had things similar to JobKeeper here in Australia. And if you have a look at the way that was actually done, the way that was rolled out, it was actually very good for business. Uh, and basically what it did was immense. Well, the government looked at, you know, people can become unemployed and we're giving it to them in the doll, or we can help them out this way and help the companies out and help keep their jobs open. 
And we know a lot of people that were on JobKeeper as a result of that. Some people are earning more on JobKeeper than what they actually were working. Yeah. The, the basis of it though is what it did was it stimulated the economy and a lot of people were holding on to cash. And as a result of that, if you have a look at 12 months later, the stimulus packages that have gone out uh, in the US and here, the governments have gone and raised money through bonds. And that has actually made the bond market extremely volatile. And people are holding onto a lot of cash and bonds are a defensive part of our portfolio. And when you have a look at our portfolio, it's uh, the only negative in our portfolio has actually been the defensive, which I haven't seen that happen since the Russian currency crisis, which I think was 2000, so just before the tech wrecks. That was the last time I saw bonds get hammered. I mean, when I say hammered, we're talking, you know, negative 2.5%, but yeah, it's very rare that bonds have uh, capital depreciation. So, well, very rare on the conservative bond market that we invest in yeah. that you have capital depreciation. So. Uh, when, you, when you look at that, that is a part of the market that uh, is concerning at the moment. So uh, you get nothing in cash, but nothing in cash is better than negative two in bonds just yet. But it doesn't mean we're streaming out of the bond market. We're just looking at a more active engagement within the bonds rather than the passive index uh, approach on the bonds as well. So that doesn't mean you're going to get, you know, four and a half, five, six percent returns in bonds, but it does mean you'll get back into the positive mark. So the defensive part of our portfolio has actually been the most concerning part. Yeah. Um, but I'll touch on where the reporting season has just happened in the US and of our top 10 holdings, I think, uh, Willard, you can shake your head at me yes or no, but I think there was only one of our top 10 holdings which actually dropped yesterday and I think that was Starbucks. I think the rest of it actually was up. Uh, so, you know, even my pet hate share Tesla had a great quarter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, and, you know, and we do have some exposure to Tesla because we have 5% exposure in the portfolio to NASDAQ 100. So, and Tesla obviously makes up part of that. So when you actually have a look at the reporting season, it was extremely positive. Um, actually, I think Microsoft shares went down yesterday too. Is that right? I have to put my glasses on my head. <laughs> so so, so um, I think, uh, yeah, okay, Microsoft was down yesterday too, even though they had uh, positive. <laughs> so they were expecting, they had revenue of 41.07 billion, they were expecting 41.03, or the analysts were, and uh, you know, above for the quarter, 200 million up on EBIT. So, uh, but their shares dropped, which is always seems to happen. Inverting people say, okay, they did what they did, we'll take our profit and leave. Um, lock in our dividends and go. So, Overall, I think our stance of having nearly 50% exposure to the US market, but we have stayed away from some sectors of the global markets, uh, not just uh, the US, but global markets inclusive of Australia in certain sectors, which have had a fairly good run over the last uh, 12 to 24 months. And there's a reason for that. And first of all, you never play with somebody else's money. Yeah. You know, our clients are looking at this, you know, growing for retirement or taking an income from it, no matter what's happening in the market. So, so we can't go into, you know, being into sectors that have gone up, uh, but could be classed as quite volatile at the moment. So even from a small caps, um, when you're thinking small caps, which have had a good run, 
you know, if you're going global small caps, you're talking minimum market cap of $3 billion, which is a fairly decent-sized company here in Australia. I was going to say, what's Australia's small cap? Probably about 100 mil. <laughs> so, uh, so, so based on that, we are talking, though. But even though small caps can make profits, the concern we have, especially in the US, um, there were, as we know, uh, people have heard me say the stories numerous times, but when... Uh, Trump won the election. No one was predicting it. Uh, I think even the bookies had him at a 5% chance of winning. So when he won, well, prior, nobody took his first 100-day speech of what he was going to do in the first 100 days seriously until he won. And of course, uh, the, he was going to build, in the first 100 days, build the wall, uh, slash corporate tax rates, halve them, and uh, get rid of dismantle Obamacare. Well, two of those three things didn't happen, but the slashing corporate tax rates did. It was good for the economy. Uh, it was certainly great for the economy. It certainly spurred on employment. Had one of the lowest levels of unemployment ever. That spurred on really well, and our exposure to the US really gained through that. Now, we did make a play in November, assuming that Biden would win. He did win. We just didn't know by what type of majority he would win. And the concern that we had was, okay, if he was to win with a majority, uh, from that perspective, what's his first? What did he want to do in his first hundred days? One of it was actually return corporate tax rates to where they are. Now, also to obviously during the U.S. election, they were going through a pretty bad stage in their pandemic, in yep. their COVID response, and the U.S. is a lot like Australia. Uh, it's, you can't. Do a, in the UK, they could do a blanket close down the country. Uh, in the US, like Australia, it was on a state-by-state -state basis. So New York might turn around and close down, and well, California's uh, Democrat as well. Open. Texas is fully open <laughs> for business. Miami's fully open for business. Let's go so, to the baseball. Let's pack 100,000 in. Yeah, let's go to the baseball and then go to the beach down uh, <laughs> Miami. So it's... Uh, so, so the basis of it was was that you're unsure what was going to happen in the US, but there was a huge stimulus. So with such a huge stimulus and so much cash being held, our concern is with inflation. Yep. And of course, what do reserve banks do? Reserve Bank of Australia, as an example, to cap inflation, they will increase interest rates. And by increasing interest rates, the benefactor of increased interest rates are pensioners who hold cash. People have large cash balances because holding cash at the moment is earning less than inflation, so you actually go backwards. So the benefactors there are the people with term deposits, as an example, in Australia. The But the downside of that, though, is, of course, people with mortgages or large companies with debt. So if, he got to, if Biden does get to increase the corporate tax rates and inflation hits and then thus interest rates hit, what you're going to do is you're going to have companies that are posting, a, maybe posting a profit at the moment. They're potentially going to, they don't necessarily listen to Simon Sinek's uh, why if you don't get rid of staff, you, you know, you, you actually, there was one company example I think he gave where everyone volunteered to work four days a week uh, so everyone could keep their jobs yep. rather than having mass layoffs. And the company became, oh, I can't remember which company it was, uh, but it became an ultimate success. The basis of, um, and all the leaders took uh, massive pay cuts too, that helps. So when you actually have leaders that lead. Yeah. Um, the second part too, though, is that with these companies, 
if they do if corporate tax rates rise you know there's going to be unemployment if there's unemployment and there's mortgage pressure it, it can it'll just be that perpetual motion of negativity uh, that can come off people will hoard cash they'll stop spending money if they stop spending money the economy is not growing companies aren't increasing their profitability as a result of that and what you actually have then is companies saying well our profit is down our tax rate is higher um, and our repayments and debt is also increased we've now got no money left so based on that out of fear you're going to then have the big market exodus and the markets will come down so that from that perspective we believe there's still growth in the markets with such low interest rates yep. globally over the next uh, at least over the next 12 months hard to predict 24 months in this market but based on that too though as i've been saying recently our exposure is to the big uglies and the big uglies are not your small small cap darlings uh, and where people are flocking to at the moment uh, you know avoid the herds basically but the big darlings are the ones that are making money, are very pro very profitable, have cash, and can sustain a hit uh, without having mass layoffs, etc. And these are a lot of large tech companies and things like that as well, yeah. or what we call companies that have the wide moats. So, so in in the portfolios at the moment, what's our Australian exposure looking like? Our Australian exposure is five percent. Um, I th of that five, well, I'd say in a growth portfolio, it's five percent, uh, or just over five percent. Uh, it's not index at the moment. It is. Uh, it's got exposure to a hundred odd stocks. It's what we call equal weighted. So every quarter, it all, they all go back to one percent. Yep. So you might have, you know, of that top of the one hundred, you might have forty stocks that make twenty percent for the quarter. You might have 40 stocks that lose 10% for the quarter, but over a result of that, what they're looking at is companies that have uh, the good growth potential in the long term, and then your 1.2% exposure to, you know, say, Afterpay went up again as an example, uh, that would get that'll get brought back to 1%. I don't think it will. Don't go out buying Afterpay. <laughs> disclaimers at the end. <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Uh, but basically, is a case of they do look at companies that they think do have the growth potential, yep. and they'll have exposure there. So it's more of an active play in Australia right now, rather than actually following the index. And Australia just doesn't have the innovation, and any innovation it does have a small caps, and they just don't necessarily have the cash flow uh, to, even though our economy has done really well, they don't necessarily have the cash flow to be able to support dividends and uh, et cetera as well. So, and, and those companies, no different than us, we, you know, you reinvest your profit back into the company for growth, because yep. uh, that's the scale where you are. So our exposure there is really low. Still concerned about property. Um, I am concerned about uh, the residential markets right now. Yeah, we're having the discussion yesterday. We were over lunch, and it was, you know, with uh, Craig Sheaf from Technical Investing, and one of the concerns is that there, yeah, there's not much stock at the moment. People are cashed up and they're going out buying and buying and buying and buying, and that's pushing up prices, of course. But we still haven't seen the effects of the JobKeeper being turned off and what's potentially going to happen over the next six months in the market as well, where if someone is suffering mortgage stress right now, I'd be suggesting don't hold on and see how it goes in six months, sell now. Yeah. Um, because when there's more stock on the market, there's more choice. And if there's more choice, and uh, then prices usually aren't up. So 
avoid the biases from that respect. Um, avoid the crowds if you are considering selling, sell now. Uh, if you are, you know, we've got some clients who are settling on properties that were they bought um, two years ago yeah, and are being built now and they're settling on them. Perfect time. Yeah. Uh, very hard for a bank to not give our purchase prices valuations right now in this market. So so based on that, they're, they're, they should do quite well. Um, but I do get concerned about a lot of the trends and because there's money right now and everyone's an expert in rising markets uh, in everything. It doesn't yeah. matter whether we're talking property, whether we're talking... Um, you know, we had one client two weeks ago say, should I pour all my money into shares because I heard that's going to boom over the next 12 months. So I'm scratching my head thinking, this is somebody who's so risk averse, it's ridiculous. And now they want to get in the top of the market. And that concerns me yeah. when people are following those type of things or somebody went to a seminar and they've all got okay. together and, and said, here's what, here, here's what I was told. What do you think? And poor old conservative Tony uh, in that booming market is saying, hmm, let's, let's be a little bit cautious yeah. because you're a cautious person. It's more the fact of that. It's not that they don't don't like the upside. They just can't stomach under any circumstances to downside. Yeah, the different stages of their life as well. If they're sort of needing to grow that at the end, like you lose anyone losing a large chunk is not going to enjoy it, are they? Absolutely. No, so, uh, you know, don't go, don't go. Everyone's an expert with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. Uh, the amounts of mistakes I wouldn't have made and the amount of things I would have done uh, with the benefit of hindsight uh, is magnificent. But And that's in all areas of life. But, you know, with the markets, we still think there's growth. Uh, we do have a mixture, as Josh would say, we don't have a bias towards, you know, for five years, people who are value biased, no, no, value, value, value. And of course, they missed out on all the growth and got nothing whatsoever. And now for the last, you know, 10 months, value has come back in the stock. But if you think growth isn't going to work, uh, you're kidding. So having a good blend at all times within your portfolio is the key. Don't don't go chasing one individual manager's biases towards any one sector or, or style in any way. So things like growth at a reasonable price is good and still has that conservative side as well. Thank you, Tony. Um, market updates out next week, which will cover off a few of these in, in sort of more high level as well. Yeah, um, we'll see how next week, uh, seven days goes. So, yeah, <laughs> I might turn around and say, Will I, can you take that last podcast <laughs> off? <laughs> so it's, uh, we'll just see how the next week goes, but it should be okay. A guest next week, which is exciting. Um, you Jason, yep. Yeah, I think our clients will like that. So we'll have a listen then, and I'll see you then. Look forward to it. Thanks, Jamie. Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Gen Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the host of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.